Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, the world tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. I wouldn't change places with anyone tonight. <laughs> okay, I see what you're we'll doing We'll carve here. pumpkin faces and watch the witches flight. Just skip ahead to the tambourine Anything part. Anything can happen on Halloween. Your dog could turn into a... Okay. All right, so welcome to Justin Sings the Hits. I'll sing this whole song. Your Halloween hits podcast. If seen my tambourine. There we go. That's what we were waiting for. and begin the begin. How great is Tim Curry? That track is the best. There are like no good Halloween songs. Just that one and Monster Mash. <laughs> and everything from Mickey's Monster Musical. Everything from Mickey's Monster Musical, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. That's, that's the only <laughs> Halloween songs that I like. Happy Halloween, happy Justin. Ha- happy Halloween, Sydney. I don't know why we went into uh, that the the NPR <laughs> bit from yeah. SNL. It's a delightful time uh, of Halloween year. Halloween is here. Uh, the holiday season of, of Halloween. Spooky. The spooky time of the year is upon us. <laughs> Everybody's excited with costumes, crafts. Pe- People would say this show is already usually Tasty pretty treats. pretty scary. <laughs> usually, Sawbones. That's true. I think we were even listed as a as a horror podcast. Yeah, one, at one by by one publication. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think that's completely fair. But then I have a I don't know a work perspective on this. I think. Yeah. Um, but I felt like in the spirit of the Halloween season, we should do something a little bit a little bit spooky, a little bit scary. I love it. Tell a ghost story, as it were. Yeah, sort of. I'm. I'm. I'm it ready. involves I, ghosts. I got my uh, chile mocha. I will mm-hmm. say the word ghost. Okay, I'm. That's actually a trademark of my brother, my brother, and me. But I think I can talk to the, them and just sort of get a, a, a temporary license to talk oh, about ghosts. Oh yeah, you da- you guys do a ghost thing, right? Yeah, I just love the ghosts. <laughs> just do a ghost thing. You yeah. do a ghost thing. It's there with your horse thing and your shark thing. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Now I want to talk about cinematic neuroses. I know that doesn't sound like a. Uh, ghost thing but it will get there i heard cinematic i'm into that right that has to do with movies Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so most of the time when we talk about severe psychological reactions like like somebody having um, mainly what i'm referencing is post-traumatic stress disorder or ptsd Mm -hmm. um we're causing about we're talking about real life events causing them right Mm -hmm. so uh somebody 
goes through some sort of, uh, they experience or witness or are confronted with an event that involves um, a threat of death, a threat of serious injury, actual death or serious injury, and um, a threat to their own personal self-integrity. And this causes a, a severe um, fear reaction. They feel helplessness, they feel horror, and then you get all the symptoms that result from that. Right. And so when we talk about that in, in medical terms, we're, we're usually referencing, especially historically throughout different case reports and articles and how we defined this disorder, we're talking about real life events. But since the age of media, we have begun to accept the fact that maybe those kinds of symptoms could be caused by things we see but are not actually experiencing, so to speak. Well, it makes perfect sense, right? Like the stimulus, it's the whole reason that we can engage with with drama or comedy is that our, our brains don't necessarily parse, you know, reality versus um, something that we see on a movie screen in completely different ways. It's still the same inputs and the same... And, but the question is, is that then could that go too far? I don't know, Sydney. Could it? <laughs> I guess it could. I'm going to tell you about okay. it. So when we're talking about a cinematic neuroses, which is not really a term neuroses that we use anymore, uh, this actually probably dates back to like a Freudian concept when mm-hmm. we when we and when we talk about I, I don't think Freud coined that term but when he talked about neuroses and then in re, in relation to cinema um, we what we're referencing is this Freudian concept that you have this struggle with the devil with a love-hate relationship with the devil which I'm not entirely certain how that works but you have control over that. And if you feel that you are losing control over that, that you are helpless to it, then it makes you, it, it connects to relationships in your personal life that you no longer have control over. And now it will make you feel helpless and alone and seeing things that relate to the devil that have to do with losing control can trigger this. So if your relationship this is what I understand. If your relationship <laughs> with the devil gets out of control, it can have an impact on your other relationships. Yes, and you feel out of control of other relationships, especially if you're already in some sort of stressful relationship situation. Okay. So this is this is the basis of a lot of these cases that I'm going to talk about. Now, um, a lot of this, too, it tends to be more likely in, in susceptible individuals. So people who, like I said, are already under some degree of stress, but not necessarily. Some of these cases I'm going to talk about are, are in people who previously reported no psychological symptoms or problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but basically the idea is that you see something in a film or a television show or hear something on the radio and it makes you feel like you have lost control over events and that you yourself, your own person as an entity is now kind of up to the whims of whatever. I, I get that from checking 538 a lot, so I, I definitely understand <laughs> where you're coming from. Um, all movies can cause some disturbances in this, as you referenced, Justin. Like, mm-hmm. they're, like you don't have to see something that severely impacts you to feel... I mean, obviously, like, movies make us cry. Right. Movies make us laugh. So they can affect the way that we think and feel and maybe, like, change the way that you look at something. Um but what we're and they can even cause like symptoms that are negative. So you can see a movie and have trouble sleeping or have like recurrent thoughts of that. I know that for me, there are certain movies that after I watched, 
I, I reference a lot the exorcism of Emily Rose, where afterwards it stuck with me, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like in my head the images for a while. I had that with the descent. Yeah, but that's it's less severe than what we're talking about here. Okay. Okay. So let's start with kind of the precursor to this. And that would probably be War of the Worlds. Right. I've heard this story. He, H.G. Uh, Wells did a broadcast of War of the Worlds. and Well, uh, Orson Welles did the broadcast oh, yeah, of H.G. Yeah, yeah. Wells' sure. War of the Worlds. Um, there are too many Wells And involved. a lot of people <laughs> thought it would be, thought it was real, and they got super freaked out by it. Now, that is the story as it, as it is told, right? That it, right. That it caused this, this panic. So on, it was on October 30th, 1938, uh, Orson Welles produced the piece and there were actors involved and it and it it was about an alien invasion if you're not familiar war of the worlds was about an alien invasion of earth and the way that he produced it it was like a series of news bulletins that okay. broke into other radio programming and it detailed an alien invasion of a town grover's mills in new jersey now the problem and what caused the the panic that Justin was referencing was that many listeners were actually listening to a different radio program at first that was way more popular. And so they didn't tune in immediately to hear the beginning that said, this is a dramatic piece that mm-hmm. will be presented of, of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, blah, blah, blah. They didn't catch all that. So they just tuned in to hear news bulletins that sounded like aliens were invading. The other thing is that a lot of people didn't necessarily catch that it was aliens who were invading. Oh, okay. They tuned into a news program that talked about invaders. And this is in 1938. Oh, sure, right. So this is at a time when a a lot of people thought this may be referencing uh, German invaders. This Mm -hmm. may be the German army. So uh, police actually were in the studio by the time the recording ended. Wow. Uh, there were many, many calls that came in afterwards. But when we think of this, a lot of people have this concept of this event that there was like panic in the streets, people screaming and running out of their homes. You know, that's actually greatly exaggerated. It actually doesn't surprise me that much, especially with with Orson Welles being involved because he had a a reputation as quite a a showman who liked to play with with, uh, reality and truth or fiction. I mean, he made a whole documentary about it called F is for fake, which plays with that exact idea. Exactly. And that's, I think, I think a lot of the, um, he even, I think referenced like leaving the studio and seeing the streets flooded with people and all this stuff. And, and honestly, that really wasn't true. Um, because the program that ran at the same time was in so much more popular (laughs) than this radio programming. Uh, most people never heard this. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people were confused for a minute and then figured it out and were m- more upset by it. Cause at the end he said, this has been a presentation. Like if you tuned into the very end, you heard right. again that this was not real. Um, so most people were more upset by it and annoyed because mm-hmm. they felt like they were trying to be tricked. Um, there were some people who wrote in and said like, you scared me, you upset my family, you know, this was not right. You should, you should have greater standards. Um, it was used to trigger a backlash against radio really? and immoral programming on radio and things that could disturb children and scare people, but it really didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So, but this was the first time where we see this idea that maybe you could hear something and it could affect people enough to, you know, change their behavior, or create some sort of panic or, or, you know, mass hysteria, so to speak. Um, 
the first case of this actually being documented is probably 1974 in response to The Exorcist. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So after the movie The Exorcist came out, in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease, there were four case reports published of people who reported previously not being diagnosed or treated for any sort of psychological um, illnesses who developed what they called in the journal an acute traumatic neuroses from watching The Exorcist. Wow. So they actually came into hospitals, went to see doctors and said, I can't sleep. I'm terrified constantly. Uh, one man said he was convinced his daughter was possessed and he couldn't be around her anymore because he was so convinced that she was possessed by the devil. Um, there were people who had delusion. Obviously, that's a delusion. He, mm-hmm. The people believed things that were not true. Some people even experienced psychotic symptoms, you know, hallucinations. I just don't. I don't. There had to be other stuff going on, though. I just don't give credence to the fact that you watched The Exorcist once and and you suddenly just, like, you go from 100% solid ground to hallucinations and what have you. Like, I've seen The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's all right. I think The Descent is scarier, but, like, fine. The Exorcist is pretty scary. I, I have a hard time believing that. But, again, like, I guess you have to remind yourself with cinema... And I guess any new medium, but cinema is the one that I think is the most recent for us to reference. Like, we don't, our brains a lot of times have to evolve with the medium. Like, um, you hear stories of, like, them showing the footage of the train coming into the station and people, like, jumping out of the way in the theater. Exactly. Um, You have that with virtual reality now, too, actually. People whose, our brains just aren't equipped right now to process it. And we have to expect that we'll get better about that, but... It's funny because I think that you see that a lot just anecdotally when you, for me, The Exorcist is a terrifying movie. And the first time I saw it, it horrified me. It it deeply disturbed me. It took me a long time to be able to sleep with the light off at night after seeing The Exorcist. Today, if I watched it for the first time, I can't guarantee it would have that same effect over me. But that's because a lot of movies have done that and more since then. So you're right. 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 It is something that we adapt to. And and I think that's why when we talk about like movies and TV shows kind of upping the ante, they have to take it further. This is why. Because Mm -hmm. we, we become accustomed to it. But people weren't accustomed to it when they saw The Exorcist. They found it very upsetting. There were a lot of like reports from ERs like we had people come in who were very upset but this was documented in a medical journal that there were at least four cases of people who were diagnosed with psychiatric problems after seeing the exorcist now you're right they actually draw on in these articles they draw on the Freudian concept of we think these individuals were already in stressful life situations and that maybe this was kind of a last straw kind of thing they saw the exorcist and that was just enough to push them over the proverbial edge so sure That's possible. But maybe you don't necessarily have to be already kind of in a a stressful life situation. Maybe something could be scary enough that if you're younger, it would deeply disturb you. If you're just not old enough to comprehend it. Like what? Let's talk about Ghost Watch. Okay. Now, being from the United States, I was not familiar with... With Ghost Watch. Had you, have you ever heard no. of this program? No, no, no. Okay. I imagine that some of our listeners who are from the UK may have may already know this story, may have heard of this before. So on Halloween in 1992, BBC One, which is like the serious one. Mm-hmm. They're like, they do the news. 
This is important to the story. Okay. BBC One took this concept of of something that might, you know, terrify people. They took it a little further. Uh, there was a horror mockumentary that was written and that was written by Stephen Volk, and his original idea was that he wanted to do like this six part series leading up to Halloween, where he would do all these kinds of stories, and it would all culminate in a live broadcast from a haunted house on Halloween. And it would, you know, be very popular. Um, that all, after he pitched that, they were like, well, we don't think that's a great idea. We'll let you do one show. <laughs> and you can say it's live, but it's not going to be live. You can record it ahead of time, but you can, we'll put it out on Halloween as like this big special program. Okay. They did it at like 925. So it was just late enough. I guess it's after what they call the watershed hour. So it's late enough to be like nighttime programming. Don't mm-hmm. we have a term for that when you can start cursing on TV? Uh, safe Harbor. Yeah. Is that it's for us it's after 10 from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. So this was this was 9:25. So this I guess maybe 9 is when the the cutoff is. So it was it was past the kids are watching TV but still early enough that probably some kids are going to watch it. It's a Halloween special. Um it was aired as part of Screen 1, which is a which was a is a drama series. So it was aired as part of what is clearly a fictional series of programming. Um, it was directed by Leslie Manning. And the plot of it was that there were some BBC actual reporters, mm-hmm. people who actually were reporters on BBC One, so that mm-hmm. the people watching at home would recognize them and already know them, who were going to go to what was being called the most haunted house in Britain, in London, and they were going to report on the haunted activities in this house. Uh, the reporters involved, uh, Sarah Green and Craig Charles, were two who were going to the house to investigate. And then back at the studio were Mike Smith and Michael Parkinson. Um, and they were going to be tossing back and forth and doing news reports from there, interviewing the children and the mother involved, interviewing neighbors, and then getting calls in the studio about the house to get background on it. Mm-hmm. Um, these were all well-known pr- public figures. And Green actually appeared on children's programming Hmm. Okay. On the BBC. So there were some parents who may have been more inclined to let their children watch because, oh, we know her. She she does kids shows. So so anyway, it, it all was, you know, kind of framed as here are people, you know, reporting on events that are happening. Okay. And they advertise the live broadcast um, somewhat ahead of time, even though it was actually it, it wasn't live. They right. recorded it a couple weeks before it happened. So so what happened? Well, Justin, I'm going to tell you what happened next, right after we go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although... There will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes, you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week, I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? 
pre-prepared. All I got at two minutes. I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Listen up, Midwestern Max Funsters. Do not miss out on the inaugural Chicago Podcast Festival, November 17th through 19th. Catch the hilarious ladies of Lady to Lady and the witty and incisive Ineke and James from Minority Corner. Plus, Bullseye with Jesse Thorne will feature interviews with some pretty heavy hitters like Andre Royo and Dwayne Kennedy. Don't snooze, don't lose. Tickets are available right now. Visit MaximumFun.org and buy them. So you were saying that they had been advertising it leading up to it. They were kind of pretending maybe sort of like it was a live broadcast, but it had been pre-taped. Exactly. So so what happened? So as viewers tur- as viewers tuned in on Halloween, 925 on Halloween, 1992, uh, what they saw were Green and Charles at the house of the early family, Pam and her daughter, Suzanne and Kim, who had been reporting strange noises going on in their house. Initially, the daughters heard these strange noises and asked their mom, what what is that sound? What is it? And she said, oh, it's probably just the pipes. Now, as a result of this, the ghost became named Pipes, which is a really scary name for a ghost. That is a scary name. On a side note. So uh, they interviewed the family. Um, They interviewed neighbors, and they also had a a fake expert along with them, Dr. Lynn Pascoe, who was actually played by Jillian Bevan. Um, And then, as I said, in the studio, they had Smith and Parkinson taking calls from viewers. And the calls from the viewers were important, too, because all of this is scripted. Right. And as you are seeing the disturbances that are happening in the house, you're getting background information from callers who are saying, 
I know who lived there before. Have you heard the story of what happened to them? And that kind of, so you're building the ghost story that right. way. So, uh, the ghost, um, named pipes we learn is, is this entity that is ancient it is like this malevolent spirit that has been around for a very long time, and it's very angry, and it's very scary. Now, it has taken many forms, and through the through the callers and the neighbors, we hear about people who have lived in the house before. Most recently, there was a Raymond Tunstall, who may have been a child predator, someone scary already, who was already disturbed and then was possessed by the ghost pipes or the spirit, the entity, um, and had hung himself under the stairs, there was an area under the stairs and then mm. had not been found and had maybe been eaten by cats. Ugh. So we get this horrifying story. Uh, they talk about the spirit that inhabited him was probably this older spirit that um, they called Mother Seddens, who was a baby farmer from the 19th century. Do you know what that is? No. Have you heard of baby farming? No. Now, I had to look this up. So baby farming was a horrible practice. Uh, it was... It was supposed to Babies be... Babies in little tiny overalls, <laughs> just getting... They could only do like shallots and, and turnips because they're so little, right? That's... Tell you what, uh, if you don't want to hear about what baby farming is, that's what it is, and just skip ahead about 30 seconds or a minute or so. If you really want to hear what it is, baby farming... How do I skip ahead, Sydney? <laughs> It was it was supposed to be what would become like later the idea of fostering or adoption, but that's not what it was back in the 19th century. Uh, women who, for whatever reason, would have a child and then couldn't raise it or didn't want to or it wasn't proper, maybe it was out of wedlock, whatever reason they shouldn't have, they they didn't want the child would would give it to someone else who was a baby farmer who would care for the child for a, sum, a lump sum of money. Uh, and you could either do that for a while and then give them back to the parents, maybe when they're older, easier mm -hmm. to take care of, or you would keep them forever or you would give them to someone else who wanted a child, whatever. The mm -hmm. basic idea is they were responsible for the baby. Um, and like I said, this should have been a precursor to fostering and adoption, and certainly in some cases it became that. But many of these people who were baby farmers were poor, and would get this big lump sum of money to take care of the child indefinitely. Well, it was better uh, if the child I gotcha. okay, didn't you know, live yeah, very long. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. So Got most it. famously, there was the, the murderer, Amelia Dyer, who was responsible for the deaths of many, 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 many children. And there were also other evil people who took advantage of this practice. So that's a really scary ghost. That's is what a, I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, it's a very scary ghost. That's a very scary ghost. Whoever the ghost is, throughout the broadcast, we see more and more evidence. We hear noises at first, and then we start to see, like, apparitions of the ghost throughout. We get more gruesome details of the history. The, I, the presence of the ghost is becoming more obvious, and the newscasters are becoming scared. Everybody's getting upset. Like, what, what started off as this, like, fun Halloween, like, oh, we'll go to a haunted house. Broadcast is becoming something mm -hmm. very intense and, and terrifying. Um, at this point, the doctor and the, and the reporters realize that the entity, the ghost, is becoming stronger and they're seeing the ghost and they're seeing more of its activity probably because of the television audience viewing at home. They say that it's sort of like a national seance as they are all watching and believing in and participating in these events. They are making the ghost stronger. Weird. And that now 
maybe they can't stop it. It's too late. They've channeled this energy of the as as an entire nation. It, they've channeled their energy into this ghost, and the ghost has become too powerful. And as the show culminates, the ghost actually drags the reporter Sarah Green under the stairs into that area where the person had died. Mm-hmm. Presumably, she is now killed. Right. We do not see her again. And then it escapes through the cameras into the BBC studio. Ah, great. Where it takes control of the studio and possesses the host, Parkinson. And it ends with a shot of him being possessed by Pipes the ghost. And then presumably the ghost escaping out to wreak havoc throughout. So what, what was the reaction like to this? Okay, so the reaction was... Not great. There were lots of complaints. A lot of people were very upset because really there was the, there was the, when they aired it, there was the credits ahead of time and it was clearly part of this drama series, but there really was no other indication throughout that it was fake Mm -hmm. um, because they wanted it to be scary. And that was their defense. We wanted it to be scary. We didn't want to tell people it was fake. So we didn't tell people it was fake at the end. Uh, The studio was flooded with calls. The BBC received tons of criticism. All of the tabloids the next day were published saying, you know, BBC horrifies the nation, terrifies everyone. Everyone's scared. Everybody, there's a general uproar. Um, To try to dampen that, Green appeared on a children's show the following Monday to say, hey, look, I'm still alive. It's Mm -hmm. fine. I did, Dory kids. (laughs) I didn't die. That was all fake. Um, but the damage was already done. There were so many complaints to the BBC that they had to apologize. The producers had to apologize for it. And they put a 10-year ban Whoa. on the program. Now, why are we talking about this in a medical sense? Well, after the show, there were 35 complaints to the Broadcasting Standards Commission that not only was this inappropriate and scary and we don't mm-hmm. like that our kids saw this, but... It had severe psychological effects on members of their family. That this was more than just a scary show. Your show damaged me, my husband, my mom, my right. child, whatever. Mostly children. Uh, there was one case that that caught national attention and, and got some headlines where um, a family blamed the suicide of their 18-year-old son on the program. Oh, my gosh. He killed himself five days after the show aired. And while they couldn't directly link it to the show, the parents felt strongly that maybe that was what had pushed them over the edge. Jeez. And so they, there was an, a, a headline that ran, Ghost Watch Killed My Son. Yikes. You know, so, so this, of course, got a lot of attention from the Broadcasting Standards Commission, um, along with all of these other complaints. Basically, they answered this with the ten-year ban and the apology. Right. Um, no other, no other real action was taken because you could, you couldn't prove. It, that well, it's a hard. You, it's a really tricky legal precedent to draw, right? Like mm-hmm. that you're the. Uh, and I don't know anything about the uh, about UK law. I don't, I don't really know anything about American law. There, I said <laughs> it. But like, it seems like a really sticky wicket to say like your show made me mentally ill you know what i mean like cause mental illness with me like that seems like a really dangerous precedent exactly well and that's what they said they could not prove um i mean there was no way to find out was it the show that caused the problem and um can a show the other bigger issue is can a show do that Mm -hmm. which uh, like i've referenced we have war of the worlds who upset some people and we have the exorcist where there were some scattered case reports but we don't really have an established at this point like in the medical in the medical sense, we don't have an established precedent for like what is cinematic neuroses? How intense can it? Can you get PTSD from watching a movie? From watching TV? Can you really? Yeah. 
you know, can, can it be severe enough that you become suicidal? I mean, this is still all up in the air at this point. And I think today even we wouldn't know 100% if we could answer that question. Um, what did follow this, though, after these kind of like news reports and anecdotal cases, in 1994, the British Medical Journal, so we're talking big time, real a real stuff, deal yeah. journal, the British Medical Journal published two case reports about diagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder in two 10-year-old boys as a result of watching Ghost Watch. Wow. They said that they had 12-month history of sleep difficulties, nightmares, fear of the dark and couldn't sleep alone, fear of ghosts, intrusive thoughts, panic attacks, that it had all onset suddenly while they were watching and immediately after they watched Ghost Watch. Um, they couldn't go upstairs because it reminded them of the house in the in the in the program. Um, they had had to stay over at their aunt's house because it reminded them less. Um, and that neither of them had any symptoms before, and now they do after. I have a hard time believing the, the like I said, that the, a single event like that could bring on mental illness. But I do see how I think if if they had any anxiety leading up to that, like that can be. Uh, for people who live with anxiety, like that can be triggers like that are a big deal because you can be keeping the ship afloat for a while. And like something like that can be the, the triggering factor that sort of brings it down on you. Which I actually think is what, you know, there in, in response to this, a lot of letters were written and published in the British medical journal saying, you know, there were similar cases. There were four other children that they identified specifically in reaction to Ghost Watch, who had these same symptoms between the ages of 11 and 14. And then they even mentioned a case of one eight-year-old boy who was very upset after watching Casualty, which is, a, I guess, a British medical drama. Oh, like, wow. Kind of soap opera medical drama thing. <laughs> um, but what they said in all these cases, and then they also had some scattered reports of symptoms in the elderly as well. Okay. But what they said in these cases is that exactly what you're alluding to uh, some of the children were reported as being sort of anxious, not being diagnosed with anxiety, but ahead of time. Their parents said, well, they've always been kind of anxious children. Mm -hmm. um, and that the symptoms resolved so quickly afterwards. And they did they did require some therapy, but it was such a quick resolution and without kind of the chronicity of PTSD mm -hmm. that many people said, you know what, I think these are more like acute anxiety reactions Okay. As opposed to post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a whole other entity. So maybe these were children who already had anxiety and this was a trigger for them. That makes more sense. Hmm. Um, either way, these reports are continually referenced. I think what's interesting is as I was reading about this, about the British Medical Journal article, they are referenced today when we have the, the bigger conversation about violence in TV and movies and video games. Having an impact. You, he you hear these case reports referenced as, look at what this one TV show this one time did to these children. How are you saying that, you know, something that they play on a daily basis? Anyway, so this is added to kind of that conversation. What effect does this media have, especially on kids? Um just as a side note, Ghost Watch is referenced on Doctor Who. I forgot oh. about that in the episode Army of Ghosts in 2006. Army. And there was like a linked up website that the BBC created between, there was oh, really? a tie-in website between Ghost Watch and, and Doctor was, Who. Uh, what Army of Ghosts? That was... There was a show on TV uh, that was called Arm, or that was called Ghost Watch that uh, they said okay, appeared yeah, yeah, yeah. so many times on TV. Um, 
there was a documentary that come that, that covers all this and everything. But it's called Ghost Watch Behind the Curtain that came out in 2013. If you're interested in the history of this, um, and I guess, and I don't know, this is one of those things where you read. And then you have to wonder, here, living here in West Virginia in the U.S., is this really true? I don't know. Yeah. But they say that starting in 2010, um, there is something called the National Seance, where they encouraged fans of Ghostwatch to... They didn't, they didn't show it on TV. It's that they, at 925, encouraged everyone to start their own private recording, however they have access to it, YouTube or whatever, at home on Halloween at 9.25 in the evening and just know that the entire country is watching it, <laughs> even though it's not really being broadcast. I don't know if people really do that. It sounds really cool. I kind of want to. That sounds awesome. Except the time difference. I don't even know what time we would be watching it. But Yeah, I need to see it. Is it? Can you get on DVD or whatever? Probably over there. Oh, I'm sure, we could access, I'm sure we could find it. Um, I'm sure we could access it. I found it on YouTube. It's a weird distorted version to keep the the bots at bay. Um, cause they've got scanners that look for copyrighted contents. People distort it. You know how sometimes we watch Canadian dragons den that looks yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's fascinating sitting, um, and very spooky. So be careful what you watch this, this Halloween right. season. Um, don't, don't just pop in hocus pocus all higgledy piggledy. You gotta make sure that you're in the right headspace for it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking of was Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus. Um, uh, folks, that's going to do it for us this week. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the Maximum Fun Network for having us as a part of their uh, extended family. There's a lot of great uh, podcasts there at MaximumFun.org for you to enjoy. Um, I, uh, I want to say quick congratulations to uh, beloved Sawbones listeners, uh, Teresa McElroy and her husband Travis <laughs> on the uh, the birth of their their baby girl this Yay. week. Yeah, congratulations! Welcome, BB. Welcome, uh, and uh, uh, thanks to the taxpayers for letting us use your song "Medicines" as the intro and outro of our program. And uh, I believe that's going to do it for us. So uh, until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.